it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin. And today we're jumping into chapter 31 on the scent. Now, before we jump into that, uh, let's do a quick recap of what happened in the last chapter. So, in the last chapter, we had Rand and Loyal going out to check on whether or not Ingtar had arrived in Kyrian or not. And then. As they're heading back and having conversation, they notice there's some smoke rising up in the town. They're like, oh, something something caught on fire. And then slowly it comes to Rand's mind that that's the same direction they're headed back to the Defender of the Dragon Wall. So this, of course, sets off alarm bells in Rand's head. And he's like, no, we got to go, Loyal. And then they take off running to get back to the inn because Huron is watching the horn and the dagger in the chest. And pretty much they find out that the top, the upstairs of the inn is just bursting in flames and smoke's coming out and there's, uh, a bunch of people outside bringing in water and trying to carry out furniture and the innkeeper's losing his mind. Um, and they go upstairs, staying low to the ground, and they grab Huron and Ran grabs his bundle uh, with the flag <laughs> of Luthera and Telamon and the dragon's banner and uh, all his little stuff in the saddlebag. And they get out and the roof caves in and at the last second who do you know that arrives well it's matt perrin ingtar and baron and yeah so they show up at the very very end and Rand just sits down and starts laughing because they had come too late so now chapter 31 on the scent it begins with rand not even really realizing that Varen was even there until she heals him. Um, but he does, there's this, this one line that was kind of, it's like half the sentence, but uh, more like a third of the sentence, I should say. Uh, and it says for a moment, he could see worry in her face, perhaps even fear. Now, the only thing I can think of that would dictate this is that Varen a knows who Rand is B she thinks that potentially the madness has taken him, which is another reason to be worried on top of that because of number one, or I should say A, and C, because at this moment in time, she cannot deal with that. And also, you know, the fate of the world's kind of sitting uh, on the tip of the balance. So, yeah. So she's thinking that maybe he lost it. But then she heals him and he's not laughing, but... She gets up, goes over, and checks on Huron, and the reader is watching her, but so is pretty much everybody at this point. And then Matt's, you know, 
demanding to know where Loyal, Huron, and Rand had disappeared, and it's like, you know, you guys got ahead of us and whatnot, and Loyal's like, I, I, I don't know, but everybody's looking at these new people who had just shown up, and several of them are trying to get closer to listen, and <laughs> Perrin gives Rand a hand and gets him up, and he's like, well, Rand's like, hey, how did you find us? And he looks at Varen, but she's still working on Huron. But he's like, did, did Varen find us? Or Perrin's like, well, kind of. Actually, at the gates, um, the guards wanted her names, and a guy coming out of the guardhouse jumped when he heard Ingtar's name, and he claimed he didn't know it, but he had a smile that shouted lie a mile off. And Rand's like, yeah, I know the guy you mean. He, he smiles that way all the time. And Matt's like, well, Varen showed her the ring and whispered in his ear and he looked and sounded sick and his cheeks flushed and got tight and he managed to grin. But, you know, Rand's now noticing Matt's condition and his cheekbones are being more prominent. You can tell it's taking a toll on him not having the dagger. And she's like, well... I couldn't hear what he said, but it, whatever it was, his eyes were going to pop out of his head and he's going to swallow his tongue. And then, out of nowhere, he couldn't do enough for us. He told us you were waiting for us, right where you were staying, offered to even guide us himself, but he looked really relieved when Varen said no. He's like, Lord Rand of House Althor. Ha! And Rand's like, yeah, it's too much of a story, not enough time, but where's Uno and the rest? We're going to need them. And Matt's like, well, they're in the foregate. Una said they'd rather stay out there inside than inside the walls, and from what I can see, I'd rather be with them, but why do we need Uno? Have you, you know, found them? And at this moment, Rand realized basically the entire instance he wanted to avoid. And he breathes in, looks at his friend in the eye, and it's like, well, I have the dagger, and I lost it. The dark friends took it back gasps arise from the nearby Kyrian that were listening in, but he doesn't really care. He's like, eh, they can play the great game if they want to, but Ingtar's here, and he's done with it at last. He's like, eh, they can't have gone far. So Ingtar didn't say anything earlier, now steps forward and grabs Rand's arm and is like, what, you had it? And the... looks around. The other thing? <laughs> we know it's the horn, but that's what Ingtar's focused on. Rand's like, well, they took that back too. And then, of course, Ingtar's, you know, pounds his fist in his palm and turns away and some of the Kyrian like, you know, stepped back because the look on his face. I mean, he's a Shinaran lord, so he's already pretty intimidating as it is. Um, well, Matt chews his lip and then he's like, you know, it's, I, I didn't know it was found, so it's not like I lost it again, but it's just lost. But is he's obviously speaking of the dagger and not the Horn of Alir, you know, the thing that's supposed to be the last battle and whatnot. And to be fair, you can't really blame Matt because this dagger's his life. It's either going to end or continue based upon whether he gets this dagger back. And the hope that he can be separated from the dagger so he doesn't turn back into the golem-like murderer that he almost turned out to be. But it's like, hey, we'll find it again. We got two sniffers now. You know, Perrin's one. He, he followed the trail all the way to the foregate. And once you vanished with Huron and Loyal... I thought you just might have run off, you know, and well, you know what I mean. And then he asked them like where he actually went. We don't they don't know how they got so far ahead of him and the guy had said you've been here for a few days. 
he's like looking at Perrin and Rand's like, wait, he's a sniffer? And Perrin's studying him in return, but Marin muttered something shadow killer. I must have heard him wrong. Perrin's yellow eyes holds him for a second, and they seem to have more secrets about him. But he's like, I'm just I'm just imagining things. I'm not mad yet. And he looks away. Varen is, you know, helping Huron, who's shakily getting to his feet. He's like, oh, I feel right as goose feathers. Still a little tired. And then he, you know, realizes who he's talking to and what had happened. And he's like, oh. And she's like, well, the tiredness will last for a little bit. The body must strain to heal itself quickly. So the reader rose and is like, I said I. And Varen inclined her head and the reader made a full curtsy. Um, reader being a, a wise woman or, uh, I guess, you know, the wisdom of the place, you know, they have different names depending on where you're going, but that's what she is. She basically deals in herbs and sickness and medicines and stuff. But then, you know, the words Aes Sedai was quiet, but it just flew through the crowd and even quail just not even paying attention to his burning in <laughs> and Rand's like eh, maybe we should have some caution now and so rand asks he's like do you guys have room yet we need to we need to talk and we can't do it here and Rand's like hey wonderful idea i've stayed at the great tree before we'll go there so loyal goes and gets the, the horses because even though the inn had burst into flames and had collapsed the roof inside completely, the stables hadn't been touched. So soon they're on their way through the streets and Loyal's the only one who's walking because he, he is more comfortable walking again. So Perrin, you know, leads the line, the pack horses, and they head south. So if you're curious where they are on the map, just go south from where you believe they are. Um... Rand asks Hiran if how long it would take him to be ready to follow the trail, and the guys who hit you and started the fire. And he's like, well, I could follow it now, my lord, but I could smell them on the street. But it's not going to last very long. There weren't any Trollocs. They didn't kill anybody, just guys. Uh, dark friends, probably. So I can, can't really be sure of it by smell. Maybe a day before it fades. And Loyal's like, well, I don't think they can open the chest either, although they would taken the horn it'd be much easier to take that if they could rather than the whole chest and Rand's like yeah I agree I mean they must probably put it in a cart or a horse and once they get it beyond the foregate they'll join the Trollocs again definitely um you'll be able to follow trail or that trail here and he's like I will he's like well rest up until you're better and even though he looked better than he did previously obviously he was a bit slumped when riding but um, he's like, well, at best, there'll only be a few hours ahead of us if we ride hard. And then he just realizes everybody's just staring at him. Varen and Ingtar, Matt and Perrin. And he realizes he's been taking charge and he's face colors. And he's like, oh, sorry, Ingtar. I'm just used to being in charge, not trying to take your place. And Ingtar's like, no, no, Maureen. Maureen chose well when she made Lord Agamar name you my second. But. Maybe it had been better if the Amberlin seat had given you the charge. And he barks a laugh. Kind of a, not really a morbid sense of humor, but a dark sense of humor. He's like, hey, at least you have at least managed to touch the horn. But then they kind of just, you know, stay quiet the rest of the way. But they arrive at the Great Tree Inn. And it looks basically the spitting image of the Divinator of the Dragon Wall. Big 
stone cube. Um, and the innkeeper, ironically, could have been Quail's sister, but she's pretty much almost identical to Quail in every way, personality-wise. But when she sees Varen, she obviously knows Varen and, you know, welcomes her in. And even though she doesn't say anything about being Aes Sedai, Rand's pretty positive she knows. And a swarm of servants got their horses and settled in their rooms. And Rand's was as nice as the one they had before, but he's more interested in the copper bathtub and that the two serving men wrestled to the door. And it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd take a copper bathtub after dealing with a whole burning down building. They bring back all the stuff he needs and whatnot, and he looks like he basically had been rubbed with charcoal, and, you know, he's got covered in black and everything, and, you know, he's just like, eh, whatever. But then they gets out, and Varen's there, and that's not really as worrisome as he thought it would be, because he's aware of that there's at least three Aes Sedai, at least so far, possibly more later on, but possibly more on the opposite end of the spectrum, that are not really trying to gentle him or turn him over to people who would gentle him, at least so far. But it's one of the three that also want him to believe he's the dragon reborn and use him as a false dragon. And Rand thinks that Varen is Moraine's eyes that are watching him and Moraine's hand to basically, you know, make him do things that they want. And he's just convincing himself he needs to cut the strings. He's not going to be a puppet. And his saddlebags have been brought up and the bundle from the pack horse getting fresh clothes. And he towels off and open the bundle. And, you know, he remembers that the other coats he had worn were basically as ornate as the one he had tossed on the back of the chair for a maid to clean. But he chooses the black coat to suit his mood, which, to be fair, I like black as well, so I can understand. It's actually really cool because it's got silver herons on the high collar and silver rapids running down his sleeves. And a little bit of water froth against the jagged rocks kind of thick. It's it's a pretty nifty looking outfit, I gotta say. Even for like description purposes, that's pretty snazzy. I'd wear something like that. <laughs> um, but then, you know, he transfers everything from his old cult to his new, and he finds the uh, pieces of paper, and he sniffs the invitations of uh, Celine's two letters. And he's wondering why he's such an idiot, because, you know, she's a beautiful young daughter of a noble house, and he's a shepherd and that the Aes Sedai were trying to use, a man doomed to go mad if he didn't die first. But yet he could feel the pool just by looking at the writing and the smell of perfume on her. But he's just thinking, like, I'm just a shepherd. I'm not a great man. I couldn't marry anyone. Or if I could marry anyone, I want to be a Gwen, but she wants to be Aes Sedai, and how can I marry any woman, love any woman, when I'm going to go mad and probably kill her? But saying that doesn't change the fact that he still remembers Celine's beauty and the fact that she just makes his blood go warm by looking at him. And being that Celine's also one of the most beautiful women he's ever seen. Um... But so much he looks around and, you know, thinks that she might be even there. And he's like, yeah, sheesh, my brain's addled already. I'm having fancies. So then he, you know, goes to the lamp on the bedside table, thrusts the letters into the flame. Celine's letters, mind you. 
um, important detail. <laughs> and then he heads outside the inn and, or doesn't, sorry, he doesn't head out the inn. He tosses the burning letters into the cold hearth, um, just before the fire reaches his fingers and, you know, waits until the last black and curl goes up and he buckles his sword and leaves the room. So he heads out just now outside the inn. But outside the end, it's the winds picking up into a bit of a roar. So it's that eh, eh, you could look into that and see a couple things if you know more about the story. But I'm not going to ruin characters and stuff to implement that. But you can tuck that away for later if you want. But it's not like a super super big detail. But it's a fun one. Um. So then you know, Varen goes to a private dining room and Matt's juggling three boiled eggs and. Trying to appear, you know, in good spirits. Ingtar's looking into the unlit fireplace, and Loyal had a couple books left um, in his pockets, and he's reading one beside the lamp. I'm like, you imagine how big a, or, well, big Loyal's pockets, any ogier for that matter, um, pockets would have to be to hold several books in them. Like, I'm just imagining an ogier with cargo pants. Like, how ridiculous is that? And so, you know, he gets up and parents just slouch down a little bit and everything smells really crisp to him. Like, uh, as opposed to everything else, like normal people would smell, you know, beeswax from, you know, the cleaning of the room and everything, but not quite to the extent that you might expect for a normal person. All of this to say that the difference from where Perrin was and to where Perrin is now it's quite a big difference from when he left the two rivers and we can see and somewhat understand that character building to a, a good enough height that it's he's not necessarily like a superhero but he's on his way to being you know extremely different and unique amongst his peers like he's not <laughs> he's not able to sniff you know, a thousand miles away and, you know, oh, there's somebody took a dump. Yay. Like, it's, it's something he actually can, like, instinctively know the finer details of things based off of smell, similar to what dogs and wolves would have. And we know because of his, you know, character and stuff that he has this background being a wolf brother um, with wolves is kind of a... A big, unique thing, considering the history of Wolf Brothers and how few of them there actually are. So, some of the things that have to do with this is in terms of like, why is it Perrin? How is he, you know, achieving these feats and whatnot? Is mostly akin to the fact that one, he's Tavirn, and two, the pattern dealt with him having a mentor of some level aka Elias um, who was in a position of strength and whatnot as being trained as a warder already knowing how to track and all that stuff and then just integrating that wolf brother aspect into Elias just made Elias that much stronger but it was in a time in which the pattern needed him for Perrin which is what Taviran do and pull people that they need and the pattern basically set this up to be saying you look you're gonna need a trainer or a teacher or something a mentor of some sort 
and this is the time frame. This person's been on the run for a while because he's had a couple years under his belt. But he ran into you because the pattern's like Tavirin, we need to pull him to you. And you get a little bit of this behind the scenes look at what it's like to be a wolf brother. And then Perrin, you can take this and build upon it. And who knows, maybe we'll run across Elias again. And you'll see if he notices whether or not Perrin has grown in his wolf brother aspect and whatnot. But that's what the details and stuff are about, according to Robert Jordan. So it's like, hey, Robert Jordan's giving us these great details. These are the little things that can help build the entirety of the character and even the scene. But after this, you know, wonderful beeswax description I just gave you. <laughs> um, he's thinking about Rand being Shadow Killer. And he's like, what's going on with everyone? Like, he's referring to him, Matt, and Perrin, or himself, or him, Matt, and Rand. My apologies. And, you know, he's like looking at his own hands, saying, My hands were meant for a hammer, not for an axe. But then he looks up and as Rand enters, keep in mind that Rand had just finished burning Celine's letters. And um you know Perrin sees Rand's look and is like, you know, he's determined to do something. We're gonna we got something planned. What is it gonna be? But Varen, you know, motions Rand to a high backed armchair and Rand asks how Huron's doing. Um and if he's resting as he adjusts his sword so he could sit. And Angtar's like, well, he's determined to go out. So I told him to follow the trail only until he smelled Trollocs. We can follow up from there tomorrow. Or would you rather, you know, go after them tonight? And Rand's like, uh, Ingtar, I, I really wasn't trying to take command. I just didn't think. But Perrin notices that it, he's not as nervous as he once was. And he's like, Shadow Killer, you know, we're all of us changing. But Inktar doesn't answer, just keeps staring at the fireplace. And Varen's like, well, you know, some things interest me greatly. Like, how did you vanish from Inktar's camp without a trace? Another is, how did you arrive in Kyrian a week before us? And the clerk was very clear on that. You would have had to fly. And Matt, who's over in the corner juggling, one of his eggs hits the floor and cracks. But he doesn't even look at it, he's just looking straight at Rand. And even Ingtar turns around, and Loyal's just like, I'm just reading, I'm just reading, but he's got kind of a worried look on his face. And his ears are up in very uh, nervous, hairy points. Even Perrin's staring, and he knows it, and he's like, well, he didn't fly, I don't see any wings, but maybe he has something important to tell us. So Varen shifts her attention to Perrin, and he just holds her eyes for a few minutes, and then is the first to look away. He's like, why were we ever fool enough to follow an Aes Sedai? And then Rand gives him a kind of a grateful look, and Perrin grins at him. He's like, obviously, it's not the old Rand. He's, he seems to be grown into the fancy coat, but it looks right on him, at least now. But he's still the kid that Perrin knew and grew up with. And once again, Perrin is the thoughts. Shadow killer. A man who the wolves hold in awe. A man who can channel. And Rand's like, you know... I don't mind. And then just does the simple form of his tail and just parents gaping, Matt's gaping. Everyone's just like 
gaping. And it's like, well, portal stones, different worlds, lands that shift here and following the trail of the dark friends would be uh, beautiful women in distress. Pretty much a Gleeman's tale. And Matt gives a whistle and he's like, she brought you back by one of those stones. It's like, she's got to have, I mean, that's how we got far ahead of you. And then Fane came and Loyal and I managed to steal the horn in the night and rode on to Kyrian because I didn't think we'd make it past them once they were aroused. Uh, and I knew Ingtar would keep coming south after them and reach Kyrian eventually. And then, of course, Perrin's thinking, you know, Shadow Killer. This whole this whole section after Perrin leaves the room after burning the letters is all about Perrin's perspective. So it makes it a, a much nicer blend than the previous types. But he's like, you know, Ren looking at him, narrowing his eyes, and Perrin's like, he had said the name out loud. But not loud enough for everyone else to hear. But no one else looks at him. But he's finds himself wanting to tell Rand about the wolves. He's like, hey, I know about you. It's, you know, it's okay that you know about me too. But Varen's there and he's not going to say anything in front of her. And I, Varen's like, well, that's interesting. I'd very much like to meet this girl if she can use a portal stone. But even that name is not very widely known. Which... Celine did give kind of uh, reasons as to how she knew, but it's like, well, anyway, that's a different time. A tall girl shouldn't be difficult to find in Kyrian houses. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of a, a, an obvious like giveaway. Like it should have been a, a giveaway to Rand because everyone he's seen so far that's Kyrian is short, like not like dwarf short, but like, we're talking like five foot to five foot five range consistently where the andorman are more or less taller probably closer to six foot and then you've got ielman which are a bit taller <laughs> but it's like okay you've got all these people and she's of a kyrian in birth noble birth or whatever is what she claimed so a tall person in kyrian she'd be like i'm looking for the tall kyrian and everybody'd be like point straight to the person because it's not like you see them every day um but there's like you know a tall girl shouldn't be difficult to find carrying houses yeah here's our meal like just completely all run on run on sentence parent smells the lamb before they even show up and his mouth is watering more but then we learn ab about parents eating habits and how they're adapting and changing like his mouth waters more for the lamb than for the peas and squash the carrots and cabbage and the hot crusty rolls he found vegetables tasty but sometimes as of late he's dreaming of red meat and sometimes not even cooked or most of the time not even cooked and it bothers him a little bit when he thinks about the nice pink slices of lamb that innkeeper carves out well a little too well done but he took helpings of everything and two of the lamb but it stays quiet for a bit, and Perrin finds it difficult to watch Matt eat, because his appetite's there, even despite having a feverish flush to his face. And the way he shoved the food in his mouth made it look like it was his last meal before dying. But Perrin kept his eyes on his plate as much as possible, and wished they hadn't ever left Evans Field. But... Then everything is cleared away by the maids, and Varen insists that they, you know, hang out until Hiran returns, and he might bring word that will mean we have to move at once. So Matt goes back to juggling again. Loyal goes back to his reading. 
Bran asks the innkeeper if there are any more books, and she brings him the the travels of Jane Forrestrider, a very popular and very common and a, a well-known favorite of most readers. And even Perrin likes it, with the stories of adventuring among the sea folk, journeys to lands beyond the Isle Waste, where the silt came from. But he did not feel like reading, though, so he just set up a stones board on the table with Ingtar. And the Shinaran played with a slashing, daring style, and Perrin had always played doggedly, giving ground reluctantly, though he found himself placing the stones with as much recklessness as Ingtar. Most of the games ended in a draw, but he managed to pick up a win or two, as often as Ingtar did. The Shinaran was eyeing him with a new respect by the early evening, and the sniffer returned. So Huron's grin was the same time triumphant and confused. Well, I found them, Lord Ingtar and Lord Rand. I tracked them to their lair. And Ingtar's like, lair? You mean they're hiding somewhere close by? It's like, aye. The ones who took the horn, I followed straight there, and there was Trolloc sent all over the place. Those sneaking as if they didn't dare be seen, even there. And no wonder. It's a great manner. Lord Barthanus just finished the building. Ingtar's like, Lord Barthanus, But he's, he's, he's... There are dark friends among even the high as well as the low, says the Aes Sedai. They might even give their souls to the shadow as often as the weak. Which means pretty much literally anybody can be a dark friend. Except for Ogier. That's one thing that's pretty much impossible as of so far. And he's like, Ingtar scowls like he doesn't want to think about the highborn being dark friends. And Huron goes on, he's like, well, there's guards. We're not going to get in with 20 men not and get out again. 100 could do it, but two would be better. At least that's what I think. And Matt's like, well, what about the king? If this Barthanus is a dark friend, the king will help, right? Fair's like, yeah, I'm sure that Galdry and Riotin would move against Barthanus Damadred on the rumor that Barthanus is a dark friend and glad of the excuse. I'm also quite sure that Galdry would never let the Horn of Valyr out of his grasp if he had it. And he would be bringing it out on feast days to show the people, tell how great and mighty Kyrian it is, and then no one would ever see it else. And Perrin's like, but he'd hide the Horn of Valyr even when the last battle has to be fought? There's no way he could just keep it. Angtar's like, I know very little about Kyrian, but I've heard enough of Galdrian. He would feast us, thank us for the glory we brought Kyrian, he would stuff our pockets with gold, and heap honors on our heads, and if we tried to leave with the horn, he'd cut off our honored heads without pausing to take a breath. Says a lot about the Kyrian, and if you think about it, but specifically about Galdrian. Um, so Perrin, you know, runs his hands through his hair and it's like, Eesh, the more he hears of kings, the less he likes them. It's like, well, that's typically the, the route everyone takes. <laughs> um, and Matt's like, well, what about the dagger? He wouldn't take that, would he? Ingtar gives him a glare, but he's like, hey, I know the horn is important, but I'm not going to be fighting the last battle. That dagger, though. Baron rests her hand on the arms of her chair and is like, you know, Galdrian's not going to have it either. What we need is some way inside Barthenus's manor house. If only we can find the horn, we may find a way to take it back. Yes, Matt. And the dagger, at least once we know, once there's known that Ice dies in the city, well, I usually avoid these things, but if I let slip to Tadria that I would like to see Barthenus new manor, I should have an invitation in a day or two. Shouldn't be difficult to bring at least some of the rest of you. What is it, Huron? And the sniffer's kind of like bouncing from heel to heel, going, the invitation is like, well, Lord Rand already has one from Lord Barthenus. Perrin stares at Rand. He looks up, pulls it out. Ingtar staring. Matt staring. Baron's staring. Everyone's staring. It's like, how did you come by this? Barthanus and Galdrian? What did, how did you come by these? What have you been doing? He's like, eh, I literally haven't been doing anything. They just send them to me. Ingtar breathes out. Matt's mouth just hanging open still. 
And it's like, well, they just, they just did send them. But there's this level of dignity that Perrin notices that he didn't have before. And Rand's looking at Varen and Ingtar pretty much like he's one of them. And Perrin's like, you are fitting that coat. We're all changing. So Perrin slowly, like, at the beginning, Perrin was kind of with Matt and, like, you know, Rand's just being a jerk. He's being this, he's being that. But now Perrin's understanding that, like, they're all changing to some extent. What Matt's changing into, we don't really know because he's still kind of trapped at the moment. But despite that, he's like, well, Kieran pops in. It's like, well, Lord Rand burned all the rest. And every day they came, every day he burned them until these ones. Every day from mightier houses. And Kieran seems to be very proud of that fact. Like, Kieran's limited knowledge of the game of houses... And the fact that Lord Rand is, you know, managed to pull this off despite knowing little to nothing. It's quite the feat. And he seems to be proud of him. Almost as if he raised him. <laughs> they grow up so, so fast. So Varen looks at the parchments and is like, well, the Wheel of Time weaves us all into the pattern as it wills. Sometimes it provides what we need before we know we need it. This kind of harkens back to my comment earlier about Perrin and Elias. Like, Perrin was going to need Elias. And Elias was already going through what he was going through before Perrin was needed him. So, it's kind of that concept. So, everyone who needs somebody will have probably somebody at some point. But when they happen to show up, and if they live long enough to show up, that's a different story. Because what the pattern wants and what the pattern gets isn't always the exact same. That's what keeps it kind of mysterious. So, you know, Varen's like, well, we got what we need. So she crumples the king's invitation and chucks it in the fireplace. And it just lays there, you know, on the cold logs, but then breaks the other one. And she's like, ah, this will do very well. Very nicely, indeed. Varen's like, well, how can I go? They will know I'm no lord. I'm just a shepherd and a farmer. And Tar's like, right. And he's like, no, I really am. I told you I am. Ingtar just shrugs and he doesn't seem to be convinced. And Huron just stares at Rand with you know, just like absolute, just like, yeah, right. And Perrin's like, burn me if I didn't know him. I wouldn't believe it either. And Matt's watching Rand with his head tilted, frowning as if looking at someone he'd never seen before. It's like, even Matt sees it. It's like, well, you could do it, Rand. You definitely can. And Varen's like, well, it would definitely help if you didn't tell everyone who, what you are not. People will see what they expect to see. Beyond that, look them in the eye and speak firmly. The way you have been talking to me, she dryly added. And Rand's cheeks colored, but he doesn't drop his eyes. Doesn't matter what you say. And this is the part that I think explains the culture nicely for pretty much everyone. They will attribute anything out of place to your being an outlander. In other words... You're so different from everyone around here that no one's going to look at you twice because they'll just attribute it to what you're doing or saying or anything to being the fact that you're from outside of their territory. You're not them. You're not like them. You don't look like them. You're nothing like them in any shape or form. And it's a very interesting way to look at it, but that's also a concept that pretty much applies to every nation on the continent. 
And this also helps to remember, you know, the way you behave before the Amarlin, that if you're that arrogant, they'll believe you are Lord if you wear rags and Matt Snickers. <laughs> of course, Rand does what, you know, any man does in this confusing, fr frustrating moment and just throws up his hands. He's like, all right, fine, I'm going to do it. But I still think they'll know for five minutes after I open my mouth. When? Barthanus has asked for you for five different dates, and one is tomorrow night. Ingtar's like, tomorrow? The horn can be 50 miles down river by tomorrow night. Or, and Varian cuts him off. He's like, Uno and your soldiers can watch the manor. They try to take the horn anywhere. You can easily follow. Maybe even retrieve it easier than from inside Barthanus' walls. Ingtar's like, well, yeah, but I, I just don't like to wait. Now that the horn is almost in my hands, I, I will have it. I must. I must. And here and stares at him. He's like, well, but Lord Ingtar, that isn't the way. What happens, happens. And what is meant to be, will. And Ingtar glares at him and cuts him off. And he's like, hey, it just isn't the way. Talking of must. Ingtar turns back to Varen pretty stiffly. And is like, you know, Varen said I, Kyrene and I are very strict in their protocol. If Varen does not send a reply, Barthanus may be so insulted he will not let us in, even with the parchment in our hands. But if Varen does, well, Fane at least knows him. We could be warning them to set up a trap. And she's like, oh, we'll just surprise them. And her slight, barely there smile was not particularly pleasant. But I think Barthanus will want to see Rand in any case, dark friend or not. I doubt he has given up on the plots against the throne. Rand says, or Rand, he says you took an interest in one of the king's projects. He doesn't say what. But what does he mean? I want to read this next part. I don't know, Rand said slowly. I haven't done anything at all since I arrived. Wait, maybe he means the statue. We came through a village where they were digging up a huge statue. From the Age of Legends, they said. The king means to move it to Kyrian, though I don't know how he can move something that big. But all I did was ask what it was. We passed it in the day and did not stop to ask questions. Varen let the invitation fall on her lap. Not a wise thing for Galdrian to do, perhaps, unearthing that. Not that there is any real danger, but it is never wise for those who don't know what they were doing to meddle with things from the Age of Legends. What is it? Rand asked. A song, Riel. She sounded as if it were really not very important. But parents suddenly had the feeling of two of them had entered a private conversation, saying things no one else could hear. One of a pair, the two largest ever made, that we know of, and an odd pair as well. One, still buried on Tremalking, can only be used by a woman. This one can be used by a man. They were made during the War of Powers, to be a weapon. But if there were, is anything to be thankful for in the end of the age or the breaking of the world, it is that the end came before they could be used. Together, they might be well powerful enough to break the world again, perhaps even worse than the first breaking. Perrin's hands tightened to knots. He avoided looking directly at Rand, but even from the corner of his eye, he could see a whiteness around Rand's mouth. He thought Rand might be afraid, and he did not blame him a bit. Ingtar looked shaken, and as well as he might. 
that thing should be buried again, as deeply as they can pile dirt and stone. What would have happened if Loghain had found it? Or any wretched man who could channel, let alone one claiming he's the dragon reborn? Baron Sedai, you must warn Galdrian what he's doing. What? Oh, there's no need for that, I think. The two must be used in unison to handle enough of the one power to break the world. And that was the way in the Age of Legends. A man and a woman working together were always ten times as strong as they were apart. And what I said I today would aid a man in channeling. One by itself is powerful enough, but I can think of a few women strong enough to survive the flow through the one on Tremalking. The Armorlin, of course, Moraine, and Elida, perhaps one or two others, and three still in training. As for Loghain, it would have taken all of his strength to simply keep from being burned to a cinder with nothing left for doing anything. No, Ingtar, I don't think you need worry, at least not until the real Dragon Reborn proclaims himself, and then with all we have enough to worry about as it is. Let us worry now about what we shall do when we are inside Barthanus Manor. So, before I go any further, I want to cover kind of a little bit of the details in this. So, Rand mentions the statue from the Age of Legends. That was what he was told. And Varen points out that they didn't stop to look at it or to ask questions. They just saw as they were going. But there's not really any real danger. And when asked what it was, it's a saw angriel, which is like super power, super powerful. Um, much more powerful than an angriel and tur angriel that could be used to use the one power would be much weaker in most situations than an angriel, let alone a saw angriel. But you know, it's a pair, so you got one for men and one for women. And it was made in during the War of the Powers to be used as a weapon, but it was never realized as a weapon. So I'm imagining that during that time frame, it kind of went downhill. Now, the funny part is, is that if Luz Theron had used that with in tandem with the female uh, Aes Sedai and had taken on the dark one probably all of this would be not because they would have had so much of the one power to pretty much just bully the dark one into a corner and then strap him down and lock him away into a little cage and don't even have to patch the boar you wouldn't even have to have a boar you just stick it up and disappear and forget where you put him um but the woman who bored into it originally and damaged the to begin with um potentially could do it again which is why secrecy would be kind of a big deal but once you know where the boar is it's not really like you could move it or hide it because it's kind of a pocket dimension in a way but since this giant statue is not um accessible <laughs> um by any Galdrian, like, unless Galdrian knows how to channel and whatnot, 
uh, it seems to be fine. But Perrin, you know, freaks out because he knows about Rand and he looks at Rand kind of out of the corner of his eye without looking at Rand and noticing that, you know, both of them are kind of terrified, but they don't really blame him. So Ingtar's like, well, we got we got to do the diplomacy. Like, if he gets something that powerful and somebody like Loghain gets his hands on her, somebody, you know, poor wretch who can channel that claims to be the Dragon Reborn, like, they have to know what they're doing. It's like, oh, I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> I mean, a man and a woman working together were always ten times as strong as they were apart. This is a key phrase. And this is why it's one of those theories that people are like, well, even if the women had joined the men and, you know taking on the dark one and sealing them away, it wouldn't have worked. I'm like, no, 10 times as strong just by working men and women together. Now add these big, uh, big song real into the mix. On top of that, if you have a bunch of men and a bunch of women linked together and you got these men and women pulling in way more power on top of the fact that it's 10 times because it's amplified by being worked together with men and women, this should be a cakewalk, but some people theorize that they would still fail. And then both sides of the one power would be tainted. I'm less likely to agree with that theory. It seems more akin to the fact that they didn't have enough power to do it without being counterstruck by the dark one. And the reason was because the women didn't join in. And if the women had joined in, they would have potentially had more power, but if they had found or if not found, they had these available. If they had used these two statues, then they would have uh, potentially been able to do a hundred times as much power and just completely just wipe the floor with the dark one. And all of this would have been just a boring story, which is probably why it didn't happen <laughs> that way. But that's the opinion I am of because of the explanations of the statues and of the, uh, one phrase of a man and a woman working together was always 10 times as strong as they were apart. And nowadays I said, I wouldn't aid a man in channeling, but then she points out some of these uh, women who would possibly be strong enough to be able to handle the one on Tremalking, the Amarlin, Swan Zanje, Maureen Damadred, Elida, I, Dear Via Rohan, I believe is, I can't remember how to say her last name. It's, it's tongue twister um and then one or two others might be strong enough but then he points out ironically three still in training now we just happen to know three girls in training that are all of exceptional power so that points out at least six people possibly eight or, or possibly seven or eight that could handle this that's an interesting rare group of number considering that it's potentially against whoever the Dragon Reborn is, who's probably supposed to be very powerful in the one power by himself, more than likely. But then she just kind of like brushes it off. Like, now we just have to get in Barthennis Manor. Now, Perrin realizes that she's talking to Rand, and from the queasy look at Matt's eye, Matt also knows that she's talking to Rand. But even Loyal shifts nervously in his chair. Now, I'm not sure if Loyal knows about Rand's situation. I don't believe he does. But Loyal seems to be a little nervous based off the topic. The parents like, man, Rand, don't let her use her. Or don't let her use you. <laughs> not don't let you use her. Um But Rand's hands are pressing on the tabletop so hard that the knuckles turn white. And 
But his voice is steady, and he never takes his eyes away from Varen. He's like, well, first we have to take back the horn and the dagger, and then it is done, Varen. Then it is done. But Varen's smile, from Parent's perspective, small and mysterious, he feels a chill, and he doesn't think Rand knows half of what he thought he did. Not even half. And that's it for the chapter. Chapter 31. I know it's probably not, you know, nearly as exciting or whatever as some of the other chapters have been or will be in the future. Eh. We get a decent amount of information, I'd say, though. Um, Some of the things, like the last part and whatnot, were very, very informative. And then some of the new stuff that we're learning that it's like, okay, we're going to go to Lord Barthenis's manor and we're going to, you know, get the horn back and the dagger and all this stuff. Like, it's pretty... It's pretty intense. It's going to... It's going to probably pick up in speed. And this is the planning stage before the heist, basically. <laughs> so, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you guys are as well. But, thanks all for checking out chapter 31 uh, i'm glad you joined me for this it's i know it's a uh a, it's a long series going through this many episodes and there's like 15 times as many coming or i guess another 13 times um so i know it's, it's a long long arduous process but it is fun hopefully for you as much as it is for me um but i would love to hear from you guys about what you're thinking so far if there's any things you'd like to see added to the podcast or questions or something that you wanted to make questions or comments uh about the podcast the story or you know anything um you can always make fun of how bad i am at voices it's always fine <laughs> but uh i would definitely love to hear from you guys and would definitely be open to hearing a little bit more about what you guys know what you guys think might happen i mean the same way as before when we guessed like what would happen in the next chapter like that i'd love to hear that you can reach me directly through my gmail which is tales of a red arm at gmail.com you can also reach me on twitter and facebook on facebook it's tales of a red arm and on twitter it's at tales of a red arm um, whether you want to direct message me, private message me, or just make a comment on, uh, something that's posted, anything like that will work. And I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. So hopefully I'll be hearing from you soon, but also I hope you guys will join me next time for chapter 32. And I think it's about to get pretty, pretty heavy. So I look forward to hearing from you guys and i uh, hope you guys look forward to hearing from me so until then we drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will spend our pay and when we're done then we'll away to dance with jack of the shadows we'll toss the dice however they fall and several that girls be they short or tall and follow young matt wherever he calls to dance with jack of the shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack and the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the maids it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack and the Shadows